This is Salt and Spine. I am all for talking about home cooking. It's like one of my favorite things to talk about. I always want to know, like, I'm dying to ask you, like, what you had for lunch. (laughs) But at the end of the day, that's not why I do what I do. I do what I do because I think cookbooks are a way to create connection. Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, stories behind cookbooks. You just heard from today's guest, Julia Tertian. Julia is returning to Salt and Spine today to talk about her latest cookbook, Simply Julia. Of course, Julia is the well-known author of other cookbooks, including two highly praised solo books, her first Small Victories, and then Now and Again. And she's a prolific writer in the industry as well, bringing together a range of voices and recipes for her 2017 Feed the Resistance cookbook, as well as authoring The Interview, a food and wine magazine column that features compelling people in food. And the list goes on. She's a co-founder of Equity at the Table. She's host of the podcast Keep Calm and Cook On, and so on. She's been called one of the 100 greatest home cooks of all time by Epicurious. And now Julia is bringing the simplicity and craveability she's known for to the recipes in her latest, Simply Julia. With a focus on healthy comfort food, you'll find weak night go-tos like Tex-Mex turkey meatballs, soups and stews like a smoked trout chowder, morning starters like breakfast nachos, and memorable sweets like a cornmeal cobbler that employs whatever frozen fruit you have on hand, plus a number of personal essays and an insight into how Julia cooks at home. Julia joined us remotely from her home in the Hudson Valley for this week's episode. Stick around, we're closing today's show by playing a secret ingredient game with Julia. It's a lot of fun. So let's head now to our virtual studio where Julia Tertian joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, Julia. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm very happy to see you and I'm excited to talk to you again. Same. It's, it's great to see you and chat with you and to have you back returning to Salt and Spine. I think it's been over two years since we last had you on. That, that feels about right, although time has been very strange. <laughs> so it feels both like yesterday and about 20 years ago. But yeah, two years oh, I know. about right. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally feel that. And, and we're here to talk about your latest cookbook, which is beautiful. I just had a chance to look through it called Simply Julia. And I want to talk a little bit first about that book and how you sort of decided that that would be how you landed on the theme of the book, which is healthy comfort food. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. I landed on healthy comfort food because, you know, a a question I've been asked my whole career is, you know, like, what kind of food do you do? Like, what kind of food do you make? And I've always had like a very difficult time answering that because I, like many home cooks, am inspired by food from so many different places and from so many different experiences, whether it's my own memories or whether it's other cookbooks I've read or things I've seen on television you know, and on and on and on. And I've always, yeah, just had such a hard time (laughs) knowing how to answer that. And when it came time to write the proposal for this book, I was trying to, you know, in the proposal writing process, which is very much, I always liken it to like, you're writing a business plan for the book. And so in that, I was trying to describe the food I make. And I was just, you know, kept hitting a wall and I was going on and on as I am doing right now. And I was expressing this to my wife, Grace, like my difficulty. And she was like, you make healthy comfort food. That's what you make, like move on. <laughs> and uh-huh. So that was kind of like, she helped me kind of narrow that down. And it's, 
you know, it's, it's a specific type of, of home cooking, I would say, but it also is like a pretty wide umbrella. Like so many things fall under healthy comfort food. And so much about this book, Simply Julia, is about exploring the definition or the many definitions of both those words, both healthy and comfort, and especially the definition of those words when they're combined with each other. Um, so that's sort of how I came to healthy comfort food. And in terms of you know, arriving at the the title simply Julia and like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, you know, this is definitely like the most personal book I've written. I've always put a lot of myself into my work, but I, I really made this extremely close to home. You know, the advice that I I offer to anyone who asks me about making a cookbook and the advice I try and follow myself is to just write the book that only you can write you know, what is specific about you? What is specific that you can offer to this? So this is my, I guess, very specific offering. <laughs> and it's, you know, my favorite recipes for healthy comfort food. So that's a long answer to your question, Brian. <laughs> no, that's great. I love that it sort of fits so thematically with all of the work that you've done on your other books. And also sort of Grace offered this sort of succinct description of, of the type of food that you create. You mentioned the title, which I know we talked about last time you were on the show that you always have these funny ideas for your titles. Like we talked about you wanting to name your leftover book, It's Me Again, <laughs> um, which then was ultimately named Now and Again. But you also thank Grace in this book for, you say, listening to every bad book title I've ever had. <laughs> so I just wanted to check in since you're here with a new book. Like, did you have other titles that oh, you want yeah. to get out there for this book? <laughs> um, definitely. And you're very sweet to, like, quote the acknowledgments. Um, the acknowledgments is the first thing I read in every book I read. Um, yeah. I always think it's like the window into everything and everyone that helped create a book. So, yeah, that that line about Grace comes from the acknowledgments and Grace, um, Grace puts up with so much, <laughs> including all of my brainstorming about book title ideas. So yeah, this book went through many titles. The proposal I wrote was not under the title Simply Julia. It was something I came to later and it was actually my mom's recommendation was that title. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's all in the family, basically every answer <laughs> to each of your questions. And it's interesting because it really is so nice to to talk to you again. And we have had the experience of talking about different parts of my career. So, you know, it's interesting to me to hear like and remember, you know, yeah, we've kind of talked about this, my love of book titles and stuff. And yeah, it kind of speaks to a little bit of my journey, I guess, with this book to use like an overused word, because I usually have such a clear vision of what I want my work to be and my books to be. And I, I love coming up with book titles and I usually use them as sort of like an anchor to build the the blueprint or the framework for the book. And I honestly didn't have that experience with this book. I, I really wrestled with what the book would be um, only to come sort of full circle to like a really simple <laughs> book that is like very personal. But I went through, I wrote, I don't know how many book proposals that my agent never even showed anyone because <laughs> they just weren't there. You know, they weren't great. I, I, I really had a hard time getting to the kernel of what this book would be. And like all things, I, I think sometimes when you arrive at like a really simple, straightforward thing, sometimes you have to make a very complicated mess to get there. So I think Simply Julia sure. is like, it is, yeah, it's the most personal book I've done. It's also like the most practical 
they are the simplest recipes I've, I've ever done, even though all my recipes, I think for the most part have been pretty simple. And all of that was distilled from, yeah, a big complicated list of (laughs) book title ideas and thematic ideas. And, but yeah, I'm really, I'm happy with where I arrived, but it was interesting because I didn't have the clarity of, of vision I've had before. And that made it actually a really interesting experience and one that made me feel a lot more kind of freedom to uh, try out different things and throw, you know, more darts against the board, so to speak. You, you've mentioned a couple of times that this is your most personal book that you've, you've written yet. And obviously you've, you've worked on a number of cookbooks that are collaborations. You've authored a number that are solely yours, your, your first small victories now and again, you you know, worked on Feed the Resistance, which was a wonderful collaboration um, of different folks. I think it's interesting when I was thinking about you saying this was your most personal book yet, because your first two books that preceded this, Small Victories and Now and Again, also felt really personal to me. I think mm-hmm. you might you might hear like a restaurant chef who's written like restaurant cookbooks, then write like a home cooking book and say, this is my personal book. But it really feels like all of your books have been personal, pretty powerfully personal. And I'm wondering if you can talk about what makes this book feel so much more personal. I know you include a number of essays in here, like a, a, sing, a singing workshop that you attended. <laughs> like there's these great little sort of vignettes and stories that you share, but can you talk a little bit more about why this one feels so much sure. more personal? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'll like, I'll break down the logistics of, you know, as you said, small victories and now and again are extremely personal books. And I think simply Julia is even more so. So it's not that those weren't, but I think this one is e- even more so. And yeah, I'll tell you more about the logistics behind it because there are certain things that inform that. But I think honestly, the quickest answer um, and the more like emotional answer is like, I honestly just think I'm a lot more comfortable with myself now than I was, you know, a few years ago when Now and Again came out and more years ago than that when Small Victories came out. Like, I don't know if that's just the process of getting a little bit older or also the fact that, you know, because this isn't my first solo book, like, I feel like I got to get over myself a little bit. And I sort of had that feeling of like a little less to prove. Not that anyone was asking or demanding I prove anything. I think I was putting that pressure on myself very much in the past. And I think I've just calmed down quite a bit. And a lot more things for me are in perspective than they used to be. A lot of things that used to feel really important to me just don't feel that way anymore. So I think I got to get out of my own way quite a bit. But yeah, in terms of the logistics of what makes this book even more personal than my other personal cookbooks, <laughs> um, you mentioned, yeah, there's like a handful of essays in the book, which I haven't done before. You know, they're short essays. They're things that, you know, the head note of, of a recipe, that sort of introductory kind of paragraph to a recipe, my head notes run long. <laughs> um, I include a lot of stories in them. And there were certain things I wanted to talk about in this book that were didn't correspond with a particular recipe. And they also, I felt, deserved more than a paragraph. Um, And so there are like a couple essays. In addition to the food photographs, there's a number of like old kind of family photographs that I dug up from old photo albums and um, and my in-laws did from theirs. And there's, there's a recipe for these ginger cookies my closest friends and I all love. And Yes, there's a picture of the cookies, but there's also a picture of my friends because it felt important to, you know, put a face to that story. So there's like a, a slightly scrapbooky quality, I would say, that I haven't uh, done before in that way. And also the design of the book, 
includes a very personal element, which is my handwriting is all over this book. Um, every recipe yeah. title I wrote with a Sharpie and scanned the title of the book on the cover is my handwriting. So I I write a lot of things by hand. I'm I'm a very analog person. You know, I I write books. I don't run a blog or a website or anything. So my handwriting is very much a part of my cooking. Like I'm always writing down little thoughts and notes about my recipes. You know, I'm writing grocery lists. And I wanted the book to feel like all the pieces of paper that are scattered all over my kitchen. And I think in addition to the handwriting on the cover, I'm also on the cover of this book, which is not something I've ever done before, uh, which feels a little, um, to be like totally honest, like a little scary to me. It's like very much putting myself out there, but also like, why not? (laughs) Like, let's throw this dart against the board too and see what happens. So I think all those things combined just give this book a different feeling than my other books and and one that I'm I'm just really uh yeah excited to to share. Um it feels like I'm getting to share a lot of myself and I think I do that because I value so much when other people do the same because I think when we have the opportunity to be vulnerable in a way that feels really safe you know I have the support of everyone I worked with on the book. I you know got to like choose like what shirt I'm wearing on the cover, like, you know, choose the photo. Like, you know, I got to have a lot of safety in my vulnerability. And I think when we're vulnerable, like we have the opportunity to connect with each other. And to me, that's the point. That's the point of my work. Like, yes, I am all for talking about home cooking. (laughs) Um, It's like one of my favorite things to talk about. I always want to know, like, I'm dying to ask you like what you had for lunch, (laughs) like, you know, But at the end of the day, that's not why I do what I do. I do what I do because I think cookbooks are a way to create connection. So yeah, all that personal stuff, I I hope leads to that. Yeah. I love that you mentioned the handwriting because I had my like little forensic analysis hat on and I'm like, is this a font? Is this Julia's handwriting? Like, I'm pretty sure it's her handwriting, but yeah. I couldn't tell for sure. So I, I really love that detail. The the art director of the book, I think, has um, Leah, who is wonderful to work with, I think probably has more insight into my psyche than anyone because, yeah, we didn't, we discussed at one point, like, I I had that question, like, should is I don't know how this works, but like, should we make it a font? Would that be easier? Um, right. And I don't necessarily understand why we decided not to. Like, I don't I don't have a I don't, it doesn't matter to me. But yeah, I did write each one, and I wrote each one numerous times because I tend to not write in a straight line, which is something I found out. <laughs> and you know, sometimes something got smudged or whatever. So she saw every version of each title I wrote, which was like a really fascinating experience. And it also helped me really think about, you know, it's one thing to type a title of a recipe and then maybe adjust something or whatever, but to write it by hand over and over and over it, like certain things I was like, I tend to write slightly long titles for recipes sometimes. Sometimes my desire for storytelling is a little too strong. And sometimes something could just have a much simpler name that takes a lot less time to write. So (laughs) that was something I got to consider too. Yeah, it was a really sort of fun part of making the book. You talked about being vulnerable in a safe way and about how this book is being so, is so personal. A number of the essays talk about topics that I think would be hard for people to talk about, like talking about anxiety, talking about dieting culture. Did you sort of struggle with how much you wanted, how, like how personal you wanted to be? I know you said you're much more comfortable now than you might have been on your last few books, but was that still sort of a tension point at various times for you? Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm someone who 
is always trying to navigate the line between connection and vulnerability and sharing and all these things that feel like incredibly positive to me and oversharing and ego. And I I don't know that I always get it right, (laughs) like the, the tension between those two things, but that is a space that I occupy often. And I think in my desire to make this really personal book, I also wanted to make it, you know, it's a tricky thing. Like it's super personal, but I also think it's, I don't know. I I also, I hope that there's not as much ego in this book as I think I've, I've put into other, you know, things I've worked on. And I say that because I think it comes back to that feeling of like sharing something to help connect the dots with other people, maybe, you know, make them feel less alone in certain things, whether it's like the connections that I see between food and anxiety, my personal, um, I don't even know what word to use, struggle, challenge, you know, difficulty with diet culture and navigating it and um, trying every single day to to be free of it. Um, you know, and I think that all of these things have a place in a book that's about home cooking, you know, that is a book by one home cook, me for other home cooks. You know, these are things that I talk about with my friends and family who cook all the time. And I think that there's room to have those kinds of reflections in a book just alongside really simple recipes. <laughs> and yeah, but in terms of like deciding like things like I didn't want to share, I don't know. I, I think I don't, I don't, I, I share a lot in my work, whether it's in the book or, you know, social media or whatever, but I also am someone who maintains a lot of privacy in my life. And that's really important to me. So I only share things when I feel like Basically, I've like thoroughly worked through them in therapy <laughs> and like can, um, you know, handle any question that might come my way about them. Like if I don't feel pretty resolved about something, like I'm not ready to put it out there. So, yeah, I would say that's maybe how I decide what to include or not. We'll be right back with the second part of our conversation with Julia Tertian. Don't go anywhere. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Salt and Spine. This week, you'll find a chance to win your own copy of Simply Julia, as well as two recipes from the book. Each week, we love sitting down with another of your and my favorite cookbook authors to tell the stories behind cookbooks. From Jacques Pepin and Nigella Lawson, to Samin Nostra and Carla Hall, to today's guest, Julia Tertian, Salt and Spine is the leading podcast featuring interviews with your favorite authors. We also just launched our new Salt and Spine Cookbook Club. You can cook along with one of our featured authors every month and then join us at the end of the month for a virtual dinner party with that author. And this coming month, March, our featured author is today's guest, Julia Tertian. Salt and Spine truly brings cookbooks to life, and we can only do it thanks to listeners like you. You can join the Salt and Spine community today and support our effort to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content starting at just $2 a month. Find out more and join the Salt and Spine community at patreon.com backslash salt and spine. And now back to our conversation with Julia Tertian, author of Simply Julia. There's a lot of recipes in here that are inspired by or even sort of directly from like the work, the volunteer work that you do mm-hmm. at particularly at Angel Food East. And I want to talk about that a little bit, like how that experience has made its way into your books and we're talking too a little bit about ego. And I think this isn't this isn't sort of a collaborative book in the sense that like Feed the Resistance was where you curated recipes mm-hmm. from different contributors, but there is so much collaboration in a sense of like recipes who have been inspired by other volunteers 
and recipes that you make there often. Can you talk about how that volunteer work has sort of impacted you? And it, it appears so much more in this book than it has in your yeah. other books. Also, yeah. I know it's something you've done a long time. Yeah, um, I, I I appreciate you bringing this up because it's something I just love to talk about. Um, the reason that my volunteer work comes up so much more in this book than it did in previous books is honestly, because I just volunteer more regularly now than I ever have in my adult life. Like it's always something I've done, but I've never had a regular shift until Grace, my wife and I started volunteering together at Angel Food East, which was close to five years ago. I used to, before we live, so we live a couple hours outside of New York City and I used to live in New York City and I used to volunteer at God's Love We Deliver, which is like an amazing, amazing organization. I think one of the most impactful organizations in the New York area. And, you know, so I did have that experience of going there, but it's, it's very different because it's on such a large scale. So, you know, I, for three hours might just be, you know, part of a group that is maybe just peeling onions, like not even chopping them, <laughs> you know, just to get all the onions peeled for that day. I mean, they make thousands of meals a day at Angel Food East where Grace and I volunteer now which which occupies the kitchen at the back of uh, a church <laughs> near where we live. Um, we make 60 meals during a shift. There's a few shifts a week. So it's a much smaller scale operation. And it means our shift, we are making a meal from beginning to end, packaging it, cleaning up the kitchen. That all happens like in a couple of hours. So yeah, that coincided with us, you know, living here. We moved here about six years ago. And so that's why it comes up in this book more because it's it's a bigger part of my life and a more regular part of my life. And sure. it totally, because it is such a regular part of my life, it totally influences so many of the recipes because once a week for years now, you know, I have been making or been part of a group that's making, you know, a meal for 60 people in our community. And we end up choosing things that, you know, there's a lot of things that influence what we choose to make. Usually it's, you know, using up something that needs to be used up, <laughs> something that was either right. donated or bought very, very cheaply, you know, and we are, the, the organization serves homebound clients. So it's mostly people who are living with chronic illness or uh, whatever other reason. And so we are always thinking of the needs of our clients. So we end up making a lot of food that I think is like deeply comforting and deeply healthy and these things I was trying to yeah. think about in this book and they're also recipes that have become like pretty foolproof because we're making this large quantity of food in a short period of time and it's not fussy and I think those are the kinds of recipes most people want so I, I'm so happy I got to share so many of them in the book and I mentioned a few times you know I don't go to that kitchen by myself Grace and I, during the pandemic, have been doing our shift, just the two of us. But we've now, Roger, who there's a picture of him in the book. He's our friend who we used to volunteer in person with. But now we've figured out this like funny schedule where he and his wife, they go before us and like prep the meal. And then we go and we finish the meal and package it. Okay. So, you know, there's other people involved and, and they bring a lot of creativity and experience with them. So yeah, there's a recipe from Roger in the book that I love. It's for his jambalaya. He's he is a musician and he's like pretty obsessed with all things like Louisiana, um, the music and the food and everything. So his jambalaya is, is awesome. And he very kindly let me publish the recipe for it. And, you know, we scaled it down. So it's it's not for like 70 portions, which is sure. typically right. what we do. 
but yeah, I think that's, you know, some of the reasons why all, all those stories and all those people and all those recipes from our volunteer, our volunteering come into the book. And I think also it's, it's a, I think, you know, a gentle encouragement to, to find whatever the equivalent is for you, you know, in, in your community, whether it's like, you know, dropping off some extra food for a neighbor who's going through a hard time or finding an organization if you have time to volunteer. I think connecting the dots between home cooks and their communities is something I'm always very interested in doing. Yeah, I know there's even a lovely little menu suggestion at the end of Simply Julia for a, a meal you can drop off for someone who might need a meal, like a three or four item little box. I love that. Mm. You mentioned pandemic has affected your volunteering. Of course, it's affected everything. And that's also affected how we're cooking at home. It's affected how we're writing and producing cookbooks. And you acknowledge that a little bit in the beginning of this book that, you know, you turned this, I think you said you turned the manuscript in like right as COVID was sort of about to surge, the first sort of initial surge in the spring. Can you talk about, I think people sort of not to like play into the ego too much, but I think you're one of a, a number of like patron saints of home cooking for <laughs> who love who love cookbooks and turn to you when it, when they want simple, accessible home cooking. Can you talk about how this pandemic has affected you as a home cook and an, and a cookbook author who focuses on home cooking? Sure, um, and and I appreciate your your honorary. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, description there. That's very kind. Um, how has the pandemic affected my home cooking? It's interesting because in many ways it hasn't. Um, I've been a daily home cook for a long time. Um, I'm, you know, my wife and I have worked from home our entire relationship. We're used to being home together all day, every day and eating the majority of our meals at home. We live in a very rural area and and have, you know, pre-pandemic and we're used to not going out to eat very often. Um, so all of that isn't very new to me. What has changed tremendously is how I get my ingredients. My wife lives with a chronic illness. She has type one diabetes. So I don't know, I, I did write an essay about anxiety in the book. As you mentioned, you know, I tend to run anxious in general. Um, but we have I think between my anxiety and her living with type one, we've been like extremely cautious about COVID. So that's meant really limiting our trips to the grocery store if we go at all. And we've been able to maintain such a high level of of safety and comfort, which is like such a privilege and shouldn't be a privilege. But we've been able to do that because we have amazing resources in our community, including that we live near truly like amazing farms. Um, We've been part of CSAs for a while in our area, but the farmers in our community like stepped up to the pandemic and met it with such resilience and creativity. And, you know, if I'm going to spend money on food, which we all have to do, you know, I'd much rather that money go into the pockets of my friends who run these farms. So all of the produce we eat comes from our, our neighbors, basically, our neighbor across the street got chickens during the pandemic, and we trade them baked goods, they give us eggs, like, we have these amazing resources. Um, but it also means a lot of my, my habits around shopping and cooking have changed, because I used to, I love grocery shopping, like, I love it. I enjoy it so much yeah. when, when I have traveled, which I'm not doing right now. But, you know, the last time I saw you, Brian, was we got to sit together in San Francisco. And, you know, 
I can't remember if it was that day, but like before or after that interview, you know, I walked into whatever local grocery store I saw. Like I do that all the time wherever I go. Like I just love seeing what's in grocery stores. So I miss doing that. And I used to shop for dinner tonight. Um, because I have, you know, because I work from home, I have time, like I have the ability to do that. And I love that. So it's sort of changed my spontaneity around cooking. You know, we definitely have a lot more food in our house than we used to, like, we're more well stocked. But I've also been able to find a lot of spontaneity within that, you know, within really, you know, reaching for something in my pantry and figuring out what to do with it as opposed to going out and purchasing something that I have, you know, that I'm craving or whatever. So it's, it's definitely rejiggered how I get food and how I think about preparing meals, but the like daily relentless, (laughs) like task of, of cooking our meals, like, yeah, that's not new to me. So, which is right. I understand kind of rare. Yeah even though that's not new to you and that that has been sort of how you've operated for so long as a person who works from home, as a cookbook author, did you, did this pandemic tire you of cooking at all? I think even folks who work in food are like, I can't do it anymore. Oh, sure. Yes, definitely. Um, And that's something I discuss a bit in the book. Like I have loved to cook my entire life, like since before I can remember, since I was like a little, little kid. I have loved thinking about, reading about, talking about food forever. As I mentioned, I work from home. I have like an incredibly flexible schedule. I am very lucky to live without any food allergies. You know, like I have the ability and the desire to cook and think about food all the time and approach it with so much pleasure. And I also get tired of cooking all the time. So I I know that if I feel that way, and if I feel that way with some frequency, like I can only imagine, like if someone doesn't work from home, if they have multiple people in their household, if they're juggling multiple different allergies or, or restrictions of any kind, you know, so I have a lot of compassion for my fellow home cooks. And yeah, I think definitely worth saying, I, I often don't feel like cooking. And when I feel that way, I do a few things. Sometimes I ask Grace to make dinner. (laughs) Um, Uh Often we eat like a lot of like frozen, like Applegate chicken nuggets. (laughs) Like that's a go-to stuff like that. I rely on things like, you know, there's usually like a container of cooked rice in our fridge. And sometimes I just heat that up and like scramble eggs and eat like rice and eggs, something like that. I go back to the idea that I remind myself of frequently that like not every meal you eat has to be the best meal you ever ate. Like I ate a lot of peanut butter and jelly. I ate a lot of cereal. Like I often am editing my recipes, like sitting with printed pages and a red pen while eating like toast or cereal, (laughs) like things that don't require cooking. And I can hold all those things at the same time. You know, like I can be someone who loves coming up with recipes, figuring out the simplest, easiest way to make the thing giving you as thorough instructions as I can possibly think of to do that. I can be that person. And I can also be a person who like, yeah, loves Cheerios. (laughs) Like, that's okay. (laughs) 
Yeah, I totally feel that. Honey bunches of oats has been mm. like my thing during the pandemic. Mm. Yeah. Like, I just, I have to have a bowl of that. <laughs> I do a lot of, I basically feel like my life is just me turning into my grandfather. <laughs> and I do a lot of what he used to do when he was alive, which is a mixing of cereals. Like I do a lot of like cornflakes with some granola on top, like, mm. like a, a cereal and a topper cereal. Like I'm really into sure. that. So anyway. <laughs> Amazing. We just had an episode recently where we talked with Hawa Hassan mm. about her new cookbook, which yes. you co-authored with yes. her in BB's Kitchen. And I just want to take a minute to talk about that and maybe what you learned from working on that experience or, or what you learned from working on that book, because you've worked on so many cookbooks, your own and, and collaborative books like that one. One thing that really struck me as I was reading that book and talking with Hawa is that there's such a sense of community in that book too, mm. which is such a theme of all of your work. But these interviews with the BBs, the grandmothers, always sort of came back to family and community and that being sort of the thing that really was central for them. So I'm just curious sort of if you learned things working on that book, I'm sure you did, and what sort of like you took away from that project and working on that. Yeah, um, I'm I'm so happy you asked because, oh my gosh, I learned so much. Um, Also, your episode with how I listened to it recently, it was so wonderful. It was just great. And yeah, I don't know how much time you have. <laughs> like, I learned so much. Um, right. But I would say just the first thing to come to mind and the main takeaway I I have from that experience is just being reminded, honestly, of the power of home cooks to sustain their communities. Um, I think that is definitely something, you know, as I mentioned before, something I think about a lot, something I try to do in my day-to-day life to do within my own zip code um, and to see and and get to know all of these women through their recipes and their stories and see how they have been doing that and have been doing it for generations and are passing it down. I found that to be like a, a truly profound experience um, and and one I really cherish. And so, yeah, I would say that. And I think just in addition to that, or like a, yeah, an additional layer to that is just the power of, of women. <laughs> um, that's kind of like end of sentence. <laughs> um, yeah. The, yeah, all of those women are, um, have a lot to teach and a lot to offer. And yeah, in terms of how much I learned, I learned a lot from them. I learned a lot from working with Hawa. Um, I learned a lot from all of the women who, who had a hand in that book. So yeah, I appreciate you bringing it up because it's a book I I hope everyone, um, if they're not already familiar with it, I encourage you to add it to your shelf. I think it's a really worthy addition. Yeah, I agree. It's a beautiful book. Last question before we play our little game, Mm. since we're on the topic of other cookbooks. I know you're a person well-versed in the cookbook world. And last time you were on, we talked about some of the books that are important to you. As I was looking through Simply Julia, I noticed a number of headnotes that reference other Mm, authors, mm -hmm. Andrea Wynn and Yasmin Khan and other cookbook authors. So I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about what's, who or what is inspiring you right now. Anybody should be watching. Yeah. um, I feel like I am the unofficial publicist for um, Snacking Cakes, (laughs) Um, this book. It is such a great book. It's probably my favorite book in addition to Bibi's Kitchen that came out in 2020. I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here in my home office, which you can see there's a bunch of shelves behind me with cookbooks you haven't seen. I'm going to tilt. I know everyone can't see this, but just for Brian, I'm tilting we'll, my we'll screen. Yeah. These are oh, wow, more yeah. cookbooks. Um, all of the cookbooks I'm surrounded by right now are ones I've had 
for like many years, a lot are older than me and came from, you know, my parents. Like this is all to say I have been surrounded by cookbooks my whole life. I love them. And it also makes me like an incredibly critical cookbook reader. <laughs> so when I say how much I love snacking cakes, like I love it. <laughs> and I bake so many cakes out of it. They're all so simple. They're like one bowl, one pan. That's all you need. It's so my kind of baking book. It's like all the types of cake recipes I, I try and write, but I feel like she did just a much better job than I've done. And I just love that book. So I would say for like a contemporary recent cookbook. Yeah, that's the one I've just been suggesting to like everyone I know. And I would say, I, I feel like we talked about him when I last spoke to you. But I think one of the cookbook authors who remains like incredibly influential to me is Lee Bailey and all of his books from basically like the eighties have really inspired me a lot. And I think I look at them now through definitely a more critical lens than I used to, but they've been very foundational to me. So yeah, I would say those. That's great. And, and I guess this is one benefit of our new virtual recording because of the pandemic is I can see your beautiful cookbook collection, um, which we wouldn't see if we were together in person in San Francisco. Yeah, so I'm a little nice. worried about the amount of weight that's on that wall, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, we always end with little games. So I thought we would stick to our theme that we picked last time you were on the show, which is that you always sort of categorize and group things in lists of seven or groups of seven, sometimes 11, I've noticed, but <laughs> often seven, mostly seven. So we have our little stack of secret ingredient cards, which are a mix up of um, different sort of obscure ingredients or not so obscure ingredients. But I thought maybe we'd pick one and see if we can put you to the test and you can give us seven ways you might use that in your home cooking. Okay. If, if it showed up, up on food. your doorstep. <laughs> okay, let's pick from the middle. Okay, we have Sichuan peppercorn. Oh, wow. Um, so seven things I can do with them? Yeah, seven okay. ways. If, if this showed up on our doorstep as a home cook, how might we incorporate yes. that? Into our um, I love them. They're like such a cool ingredient, that like numbing thing that happens. Yeah. Um, so I will just first say I am not an expert on Szechuan peppercorns. And there's probably a lot of people who could answer this way better than me. But sure. off the top of my head, I'm going to go with um, use them in a pickle brine. I feel like that could be really interesting. Maybe pickle something like mm -hmm. um, some carrots or something like that. Uh, two, I'm going to say crush them with a mix of other peppercorns, like, um, for example, like teletary peppercorns, maybe even some like green peppercorns, and do like a really old fashioned, like steak au poivre kind of thing. And uh, but, like have that like little extra Szechuan numbing thing happening. Like, I think that could be yeah. really cool. Okay, number three, I think use them in like a spice blend, um, you know, toast them with some other spices, grind them and then use them for to coat whatever, maybe like a big piece of pork or something. I think that would be sure. like really great. Um, I think that they would be great used in like a skillet of ground pork with like a little ground Szechuan peppercorn and then maybe, you know, like a bit of soy sauce and maybe even like a tiny bit of sugar, like brown sugar or something and make like, I think that kind of like delicious ground pork on top of like a noodle soup or something could be really, really good. Um, yeah. Okay, five, <laughs> um, maybe like a Szechuan peppercorn butter, like a compound butter, like maybe yeah. this is 
the part of me that just like loves the early 90s era of cooking and then you could use that butter on whatever I don't know like anything and okay number six what else um perhaps use them yeah like a stir fried chopped up like chicken thighs and like even like a little thinly sliced celery or something like that kind of stir fry with some Szechuan peppercorn would be really nice and lastly number seven what should we do Trying is there to... like a, a dessert? Oh, I'm like not a fan of spicy desserts. No. Okay. They're like, I, maybe it's, I'm just like, I don't know. I like like a cobbler. <laughs> I'm like really <laughs> yeah. like basic when it like, I like a snacking cake is what I like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sure. I mean, if I don't have to eat it, like, yeah, make a Szechuan peppercorn ice cream. Go for it. Why not? <laughs> right. Right. Thank you for saving me and giving me an idea oh, for number seven. Well, you didn't get the dreaded gummy bear card, so <laughs> thankful there. But I so appreciate you just being ready to spew off seven ideas with with any ingredients. <laughs> I mean, I love it. That was really fun. So, yeah. Well, this was so great to talk with you again, Julia. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Brian. It's, it's great to see you. And I just, I appreciate the support you give to myself and all of my other, you know, friends and colleagues who write cookbooks. It's, it's really meaningful to all of us. So thank you. Of course. Talk to you soon. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on our website, saltandspine.com. There you'll find two featured recipes from Simply Julia. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. You can also leave us a rating on iTunes and join the Salt and Spine community and support our show at patreon.com. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan Stewart. The Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is typically recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen is now offering digital classes for home cooks. Find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Edible San Francisco, and to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Every weekday, I cover a bunch of stuff. Policies, social issues, news of the day, things you actually give a damn about, all right? But if you're listening to the podcast on the Facebook platform, I need you to make a switch, all right? Because that feature is going away on June 3rd, all right? June 3rd, that feature will go away. So I need you to jump on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcast to make sure that I can still keep bringing you this indisputable content. All right? Let's make it happen. Don't miss an episode of Indisputable. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.